0: Thank you, Patsy. And again, you'll be hearing more about missions throughout the month. And uh, if you do feel so led to um, send in your faith promise, um, again, there, as Patsy mentioned, there's cards at the back table. Um, we invite you to to turn those in. You don't have to wait till the end of the month. You can, uh, there's a, a basket on the table in the in the front entrance way, or you can give it to one of the members of the missions team, or or submit it to the church's office. So we uh, thank you for your prayerful consideration. It is a reminder to us as we focus on missions that uh, the work of the church is is beyond uh, the walls here. Uh, that our ability to partner with others around the world is a real privilege. And we also get to serve um, ministry in our own community. And one of the the ministries in our own community that we are very supportive of um, is Redwood Gospel Mission. And each year, uh, they put on a Thanksgiving uh, banquet for the homeless and uh, and the needy in our community. And uh, after, weren't able to do so, of course, last year, but plan to do so again. And one of the things that they're asking churches to contribute to that. Uh, we want to provide uh, coats for uh, men and women and, and even children, uh, warm, uh, lightly used coats that, they, that can be handed out and given to them during that celebration. Um, the Redwood Gospel Mission has let us know that um, uh, there hasn't been much response, and so we want to encourage you to um, maybe look in your closets for any coats that are, are lightly used and, and consider um, contributing those, or even going out and getting um, some coats that you would like to um, contribute uh, to that, that work. So, the more information is in your uh, worship guide, or, or certainly you can speak with uh, Sarah Deflason if you have any, any more questions about that. Um, at this time, we'll invite our children to be dismissed for Children's Church. It's certainly a a privilege uh, that we have each week to come to God's Word, and and so I invite you this morning to turn uh, with me to Psalm uh, 24, Uh, Psalm 24. We are uh, currently in a a brief uh, five-week series on the Psalms. But this morning is going to be a little bit different in that we're not going to unpack the whole of of the psalm, of Psalm 24. But I just want to focus this morning on one verse, uh, namely the opening verse of Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And I'm, and I'm eager about uh, today's message because I, I think it's worthwhile for us to, to really grapple with what it really means uh, for the earth to be the Lord's, uh, particularly because of the relevance of this topic. You can hardly see a news program or download a single news feed today without at least one or two uh, stories being featured about environmental damage. And so I'm excited to have the opportunity where we can look at this from a Christian point of view, because unless we grapple with what the Bible uh, says about these things and, and work out what a Christian response is um, to all that's happening with the environment and the damage that, we, that that's happening in our world, unless we grapple with what the Bible says about this, as Christian believers, our response is going to be shaped by the world rather than by God's Word. And here at Redeemer, we, are, we desire to be thoroughly shaped by the gospel. If you've been here for any length of time, hopefully you will know that to be true. Our main desire is that we increasingly become a gospel-shaped and gospel-informed people. But relatedly, we also want to be a community where we are thoroughly shaped by the Scriptures that our every thought becomes captive to the Word of God. And that will invite us periodically to look at issues, even controversial issues sometimes, that are at the forefront of our culture and examine them in light of Scripture and ask the question, how should we think biblically about this issue? And as we seek to do that this morning, a bit unusually, actually very unusually, we're going to do it through two distinct, shorter messages this morning. And you're going to find yourself finding one of them easier to hear, and you'll find yourself nodding and saying, I'm glad someone is finally saying this, I hope everybody's listening to this. And you're going to find the other one harder to hear. You're going to say, I, I, I don't want to face up with some of these things, or, or maybe even your gut response will be, what kind of nonsense is the pastor on about this morning? And in some ways, the one of these two messages that you find hardest to hear is the one that's most important to you today. And I'll help you to grasp which of these two that you're going to find easier by just giving you a quick quote from Greta Thunberg, the now 18-year-old Swedish environmental activist. She says, I don't want your hope. I don't want you to be hopeful I want you to panic and act as if the house was on fire. Now, if you hear that quote from Greta Thunberg and you think, I am so glad that finally the church is talking about these things, talking about environmental damage, then you're going to connect with the first message and find the second message harder. If you hear that quote from Greta Thunberg and think, how ridiculous, who is this obnoxious teenage girl to lecture me and try to make me panic? And if you struggle to take what she says seriously, you're going to find the first message harder and the second message easier. Because the truth is, God says two distinct things into the environmental panic which is happening in our world today. And I believe that he wants us to face up to both aspects of what he says. And so I'm going to try and help us to grapple with a holistic view of what the Bible says about environmental concern today so that we can respond as followers of Jesus. And the first message of the two is about God's call to steward the earth well. The earth is the Lord's and therefore how we steward it reflects on how much we value the Lord himself. My family and I, We've had the privilege of staying at a friend's home in Bodega Bay for a few-day getaway. Uh, you know, it was a, a wonderful time to just relax and enjoy time with one another. Uh, our, our friend kindly offered her house to us. And, and so we're at the house, and we're making ourselves at home. And we're treating it as our house, if you like. And yet all of us knew that it was our friend's house All of us knew that that we were there to look after the house. We weren't there to rearrange the furniture. We weren't there to make permanent changes to the property. In fact, if we trashed the place and our friend had gone to her house afterwards and found that we had mistreated her her place, she would have been quite right to, to say to us, Daryl, I trusted you with my house, and I feel as though the way you've mistreated it, it says something really badly about how much you care about me. The earth is the Lord's, which means the the way that we treat the earth is a reflection on how much we value the God who owns the world we live in. It says in Psalm 115 verse 16, the heavens are are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. And the word given there really conveys the meaning of entrusted. And we, when we look at the world we're living in, when we look at some of what's happening to the world that we're living in through human actions, it's hard to just shrug it off and say, this doesn't matter to me as a follower of Jesus. The Bible says to us, if you care about God, you will care about the fact that he's entrusted the world to you. And the way you treat the world that he's entrusted to your care somehow reflects how you feel about him. So this first message is really a call to steward the world that God's given us. In other words, to look after the world that God's entrusted to us. I don't know what you do with some of the news stories that you hear which say things like the oceans have risen two and a half inches in just the 16 years that my youngest son has been alive. In my son's lifetime, the ocean's... Of the world have risen two and a half inches. Play that forward hundreds of years and and how many millions of people will be impacted by that. It's like, what do you do with that? Well, the very least thing you have to do is you have to say, that should matter to my walk with God. What do you do with the fact that species of animals and insects and plants are becoming extinct thousands of times faster than they would naturally? Well, one of the things you have to do as someone who believes that the world belongs to God and has merely entrusted it to us is to say, this isn't a sideline issue to my walk with God. The way I treat the world that God's entrusted to me is an expression of my heart towards God. It tells me how I really feel about Him. What do you do with the sometimes rapacious exploitation of natural resources of this world? What do you do with the fact that the oceans are filling up with plastic, that soil around the world is becoming less and less farmable, that the water of the world is becoming more and more contaminated, that rivers and lakes that once were healthy and alive are now too polluted for us to drink from? The the very least you can do is you have to say, this matters to my walk with God. I've talked with different kinds of Christians reacting to the same news stories and I found one group of Christians are very active about environmental care and another group of Christians are effectively saying, this is just a fad, this is is just an earthly thing, we're all headed for heaven anyway. I want to help you to see if you're part of that second group is to help you to realize actually this matters today to your relationship with God. If, if, if someone lends you their car, the way you treat it shows how much you care about them. The same way, when God entrusts his world to us, how we look after it matters to our relationship with, with him. Fundamentally, it's a heart issue. When we look at the way that we steward the world's resources, it's hard not to think of the way Jesus stewarded. Stewarded resources throughout the Gospels. In John chapter 6, we find the famous story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. He feeds 5,000 men, plus women and children, with five loaves and two fish. And in other words, he has very few resources. And yet he can do what, whatever he wants with those resources by the power of God. You would expect the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 to end with Jesus saying to his disciples, don't worry about the leftovers, there's plenty more where that came from. I can feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, so don't worry about the leftovers. But actually, it ends in John chapter 6, in John chapter six verse 12, with Jesus saying to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, let nothing be wasted. The way you treat the resources that God has entrusted you says something about how you care about God. There's a verse in 2 Chronicles 26 and verse 10 where God uh, commends King Uzziah for his godliness and for the fact that he has brought prosperity to the nation of Judah. And it says he's brought prosperity to the nation as a farming nation. It says, quote, because he loved the soil. If you have a tendency to read these stories and say, I'm not really interested in these things. I'm headed to heaven. Earth doesn't really matter. I want to say to you from the Bible, the earth really matters. Isaiah is commended for loving the earth on which he lives. Environmental damage is a heart issue. It says, I don't care about the world that God's entrusted to me. I'm just going to ravage it it, all of its resources instead of being good stewards of what God has given me. It's also Frankly, a justice issue. Truth is, I live in Sonoma County. I live in one of the richest parts of the world. The truth is, environmental damage is not going to hurt me as much as it's going to hurt many people around the world. Where I live, you know, when environmental damage begins to impact food production, we're still going to be able to buy our strawberries all year round at Safeway. The rich do not suffer the most. The person who gets most affected by environmental damage is the poor. For us living in Sonoma County, it may not matter that there's plastic in the oceans, but if you are a poor fisherman, it is massive. There are people around the world whose food depends on the ecology in which they live. Environmental damage dislocates family. It upends cultures. Russell Russell Moore puts it this way. He says, every human culture is formed in a tie with the natural environment. When the natural environment is used up, unsustainable for future generations, cultures die. When seas are killed, when mountaintops are left as stumps, when forests are uprooted with nothing left in their place, local cultures die too. And what is left in their place too often is an individualism defined by the appetites for sex, violence, and accumulation of things. We can pride ourselves on 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 some of the great charitable endeavors which which help those who are less fortunate than us around around the world and we but we can help them even more by protecting the environment in which they and we live it's a justice issue because when things go wrong it's always the poor that suffer the most which is why fundamentally it's a sin issue what we're looking at in the destruction of the world in which we live is the human heart played out in the world At the beginning of the Bible, it describes the earth being chaotic and God saying, let there be light, let there be life, let there be land, let there be trees, let there be animals, let there be beauty, let me take this chaotic, messy world and create something beautiful and then human beings sin and start mucking up the world. But listen, not until our generation have we been able to do more than just mess up society in which we live. We've we've actually been able to, to mess up the very earth on which we live. And so I want to ask you, what does it say about the human heart when we are destroying the very ecosystem in which we live and rely on for our lives? What does it say about our generation, those of us who are a bit older, that we are living in a way that means that our children and our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren will not know the beautiful world that we've taken for granted. It's a sin issue. Because we are unwilling to change the way we live. We rape Zambia and Congo for rare minerals because we want to update our iPhone every 18 months or every 12 months or whenever a new one comes out. What I'm trying to help us to understand is the way that we're wrecking the world is not just an environmental issue. It's just the heart of sinful man being played out in the world that we're destroying. I mean, you go to someone's house and it's chaotic and they're wrecking the house in which they live. You think, man, there's something wrong with this person. When you come to a planet where we as human beings are wrecking the very planet on which our lives depend, you realize there is something very wrong with the human heart. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I'm wanting you to understand that how you treat the environment in which you live is an expression of your heart towards God. Now listen, I don't necessarily know how to apply this for you this morning. I really don't. But but maybe we should at least begin by asking, begin by being willing to ask ourselves questions, questions about our lifestyle. Even you, is there anything in the way we live that needs to change in order to be a better steward of what God has entrusted to me? It's worth asking the question. At least I think. Should Christians examine and take seriously the, the amount that we consume and buy and fill our homes up with stuff that we don't need and eventually don't want? Should Christians take seriously the many little things that, that we can do in order to make a difference in the world? Should Christians take things like fair trade seriously? I, I don't know, but at least we should be asking the questions, I think. And not in any some kind of environmental frenzy. <laughs> But because it just makes a difference when you realize how I treat the world around me is an expression of my friendship with God. It's like the story of someone coming across three different people in a park picking up litter and they come to the first person and ask, what are you doing? And the first person's really grumpy and says, I'm picking up litter because somebody else dropped it and they should have put it in the garbage. They ask the second person, what are you doing? She says, well, I'm picking up some litter because I want to make this park a better place. They ask the third person, what are you doing? The person says, I'm picking up litter because the earth is the Lord's. And this matters to him, so it matters to me. I'm calling you to do more than just pay lip service to environmental care. I'm, I'm calling you to be motivated by something more than, than just passing on a, pla- you know, a, a great planet to the next generation. I'm calling you to see this is part of your relationship with God. That every day you say to God, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, it belongs to you. And therefore, it matters to me. These decisions we make are not just peer pressure. They're not just a fad. They're not just the latest thing. They're not just a guilt trip that's been given to us by the media so that we feel we ought to, to comply. They're an act of worship where we say to God, this world is yours. And because I love you, I'm going to love it, and I'm going to look after it. So let me just pray at the end of this first message. Father, there are two things that you want to say today, but we want to respond to the first one. Uh, We want to be good stewards of planet earth. Uh, We want to recognize that you've entrusted this world to us, and you've called us to look after it. Lord, we need to repent. Uh, Those of us who've Who've, who've looked on environmentalism as a fad, who've, who've been resistant to it, who, who've even looked down on the Greta Thunbergs of the world and said, we're heading for heaven, it doesn't matter. Lord, it does matter. And we're sorry for our share in carelessly damaging this world. Help us to, be stu- to, to steward well this world that you've entrusted to us and as, a, as an expression of our love for you and as an act of worship. We ask you to help us to live differently. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's great to be able to come to God and to be honest that we have wrecked the world in which we live and repent of sin and ask him to help us to look after the earth, which is his. Listen, we want to do more than that. Because there are two great themes in the Bible when it comes to the earth on which we live. And both of them are captured by Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And I want to help us also to get the second half of what God wants to say to us in a world that is, in, that is gripped with environmental panic. Yes, it's true that the earth is being damaged by our actions. And it's true that we need to see environmental care as an aspect of our worship of the Lord. But it's also true that we need to remember that God is the creator and we are the creatures. See, if the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, listen, then that's great news. It means that the problem that is facing the environment in which we live isn't just ours, it belongs to God. You see, there. There's this weird language that we use when it comes to looking after the world in which we live. Have you noticed how much of the language is that where we talk about saving the planet? Listen, the reality is sometimes I can't even save a Word document on my computer, let alone save the planet on which I live. And so it's just... So good when you read the second half of what God speaks into this moment in which we live in human history. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, Jesus upholds the whole universe, including this planet, by the power of his word. It's important that we take worshiping God seriously when it comes to the environment, but it's also important that we do more than simply echo the panic of the world. See, God has given us an amazing message of hope to speak to our generation about the power. Power of God, which is why we have this second message. The Earth is the Lord's, is about doing more than stewarding the, the world which God has given to us. It's about trusting God and proclaiming good news. Uh, Psalm 93 verse 1, another one of these great psalms that talk, talks about God's glory in His creation says, "The Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. it shall never be moved." This is the part of the issue. Uh, this is part of the issue when it comes to a Christian response to environmental damage. I was, I was reading uh, the other day a story in John's Gospel of, of Jesus coming to his disciples in the midst of a storm. Uh, they are on, they are in a storm on Lake Galilee. The wind is blowing, the waves are crashing, they feel as if the boat in which they live is about to sink. They are very aware of their environment. They are very aware of the problems of their environment. They are panicking. They feel they are about to die. It's a picture of the generation in which we live. We've taken God out of the equation. We're looking only at the winds and the waves around us. We are literally looking at the oceans. We are literally looking at the environmental changes, and we're panicking. We're saying, what on earth can we do? And in John's gospel, when the disciples are panicking about the environment around them on Lake Galilee, Jesus appears. He comes walking on water. They can't even row through. And he comes and says to them, do not panic. Do not be afraid. It is I. The first response to the environmental damage and these news stories we see all around us is to say, actually, we need to worship God by stewarding this creation well. But the second response has to be, we need to worship God by trusting him. Trusting him to be God and proclaiming the good news that he is God. We need to recognize that that environmental panic is a symptom of a society that has lost sight of God. See, we live in a world that denies that God created the world and therefore that God sustains the world. Now, for a couple generations, you can cope with that because there's enough inherent belief in in God has created that deep down you know that the story of godless evolution isn't the whole picture. But listen, two or three generations down the line like we're now starting to live in where people no longer have any sense of God as creator, is is it any wonder that panic begins to set in? If we really think that saving the planet is our job, no wonder we feel terribly burdened. I've periodically heard, even from Christians sometimes, I've heard people say things like, you know, me and my spouse, you know, we're, 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 we're discussing whether we should even bring another human being into this world. Whether, whether or not we should even start a family, given how difficult it is to sustain the world in which we live. And we've got to trust God to, and, and proclaim the good news that, that primarily we are not the sustainers of the universe. God is. What we're seeing in our culture is what happens when people stop worshipping God and start worshiping Gaia, planet Earth on which we live. And one of the big themes of the Old Testament is that whenever you worship an idol, those idols let you down. Now it's, it's wonderful when you, you get to spend you know, time close to nature, maybe on holiday, maybe or maybe on a walk. Just being in and, and enjoying the world in which we live. And, and the world is so beautiful, I can see why people are attracted to worshiping Gaia. But the truth is, she will let you down because she's a false goddess. Whereas God, living God, is the true sustainer God. And we live in a world where where people are panicking because the God in which they've put their trust, secularism, Gaia, environmentalism, is letting them down. You can see that really clearly in the quote that I gave you earlier from Greta Thunberg. She said to her audience as she was speaking at a large world event, I don't want your hope. I don't want you to be hopeful. I want you to panic and to act as if the house was on fire. Just compare that with what the Bible says to us in 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15. It says, do not fear what they fear. Don't be frightened. But in your heart, honor Christ as Lord, always being prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. What the Bible says to us in the midst of environmental panic, one of the ways in which we worship the Lord is by having hope in God as a sustainer of the universe and not panicking ourselves. One of the ways in which we worship God in a panicked society is by expressing hope instead of panic when it comes to the world in which we live. Peter, when he writes this letter, assumes that people come into contact with Christians and say, why are you not as panicked as everybody else? To which the answer is, because I've set apart Christ in my heart as Lord because i recognize the truth of hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 i don't have to save the planet because jesus is the savior of the world i don't have to lobby the government Because the real government is on His shoulders. I don't have to act as if sustaining the world depends on me because it is sustained by Jesus Christ and His almighty word. I'm not denying the need for us to take the the environment seriously. That's why the first message. But we mustn't miss this second message either. Particularly if we're very passionate about worshipping God by looking after the environment. We don't worship God by looking after our environment in a way that acts as if we are the creator and sustainer of our own world. No, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The Lord reigns. The world's firmly established. It cannot be moved because God is God. The world in which we live may deny that God's the creator of the world. But he still created it. The world in which we live may deny that God is the sustainer of the world in which we live. But he still sustains it nevertheless. There's a call that God gives us to do more than panic when it comes to the environment. If God is the sustainer of the universe, and if he takes us seriously when we come to him and pray to him, then we can come to him and pray planet-sized prayers. We, we can turn to God as a church. We can turn to God as nations, as a world, and say, God, we have wrecked your world. We don't know, need you to prove human sin. Everywhere we look on this planet, we see evidence of it. And we are coming back to you, and we're saying, God, the earth is yours. You're the one who sustains it. We cannot solve this problem by ourselves. And I believe that part of the contribution that we need to make as the church, that the whole church needs to, to make to this, is to do more than echo the secular world by saying, let's take environmental care seriously. We need to do that, but that's, that, that's only half of what we need to do. God calls us to say to the human race, yes, your sin is wrecking the planet on which you live, and you cannot save yourself from the mess that you've created. We're to call people back to God to pray and to say, Lord, would you please the restore the health of the planet on which we live? You know, it's interesting. If you walked around with Jesus and, and, and had been involved in some of his miracles, you would have walked into a room and, 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 and someone would have been there who had leprosy. And you would have looked at their body and you would have said, there's no way that this leprosy can be healed. And Jesus, the sustainer of the universe, healed the, les- healed the leprosy. You would have gone into somewhere, to, to, to someone who was blind, whose eyes were wrecked, and you would have said, there is no way this blind person can be healed. And then Jesus, the sustainer of the universe, healed their blindness. This is the same Jesus to whom we pray when we say, Jesus, we've wrecked the world. We, we can't even see any way in, in which our planet can be healed, but you're the sustainer of the universe, and, 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 and it's to you that we pray. We need to recognize that God's call to us is to proclaim an amazing message of hope to the world. And part of that message of hope is this, that in five places, there may be more, but I found five verses in the Bible where it prophesies about Jesus' return from heaven. It says that Jesus will return and and remake the universe as it was always meant to be. He will reboot this messed up and damaged world to be the glorious creation that God always intended it to be. And where it talks about Jesus coming back, it says there are some signs that, that Jesus' return is imminent. People will treat each other badly. Check. There will be wars of, around the world. Check. There will be earthquakes. Check. There will be natural disasters. Check. It's happening more and more. It says five times the earth will start wearing out like a garment. Five times at least. Maybe you'll find more than me, but at least five times in the Bible says one of the signs that Jesus is about to return from heaven will be that the earth starts wearing out like an old sweater. Listen, part of what we're looking at when we talk about environmental damage is the world wearing out. Part of the panic which is gripping people around us is a realization that this world will not carry on forever. It's beginning to wear out like an old garment. Five times, Jesus says, that's exactly what people will start commenting just before I return from heaven. So we're not making excuses. We're not saying the earth doesn't matter because, hey, we're headed for heaven, so this world doesn't matter. This world matters so much that Jesus is coming back from heaven to redeem it. Jesus will remake the world in which we live. He will reverse the aging process of the, the planet which we've so damaged. It's helpful for us to understand that the world will not end with environmental da- disaster. It will not end with Nuclear war, as my generation was always fearful of. It will not end with the many things that we panic about that will be the end of the world. It will end when Jesus comes back from heaven and says, you see that the world is wearing out like an old garment, don't you? I have come back to remake the universe as it was always intended to be. We live in a world where people are more prosperous than they've ever been. Where people say, I have no need of God. Well, sometimes when that happens, God sends to planet Earth God-sized problems that cause prosperous nations to sit up and say, we need the help of God. And part of our response is more than just stewarding the the, the earth and the universe. It's that we trust God in the midst of environmental disaster. It's that we proclaim to the world, this is a God-sized problem. It's that we proclaim to the world, this God that you said you don't need You do need Him. He's the sustainer of the universe. That that this becomes one of the issues of our day, which enables us to say to the world around us, you need God. And here's the good news. He's not just the savior of the world. He's the sustainer of the world. He's the one who's coming back to remake the world. Everything you're panicking over are the signs that Jesus said would surround His second coming. This is the point uh, on which... We can say to people, "Jesus is coming back." He said it would be this way. He's the sustainer of the universe, and He's allowing the world to wear out like an old garment, so that we can realize just how much we need Him. We're to steward the earth well, because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But we're to trust and proclaim the good news that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and. We are in a God-sized problem right now. It's not going to help the world if Christians do nothing more than lament about environmental damage. We're part of the answer. We trust in God. In the same way that people brought their sick friends to to Jesus and, and said, Jesus, would you heal them? We get to call the world to bring our sick planet to Jesus to say, Jesus, you are the savior of the world. Now save it, sustain it, preserve it we've taken you out of the equation. We've denied that you're the creator. We realize Gaia cannot save us. Secularism cannot save us. But Jesus Christ, you are the savior of the world. So let me just end by praying once more. God, we, we need to repent that for decades we've been part of a society that, that denies you are the creator of the universe. We deserve what is happening to our world. And we want to proclaim to you, those of us who are believers, that that you have always been the creator of the world. You've always been the sustainer of the world. And and we even think that that you've allowed some of this environmental damage to cause us to to wake up to the fact that we need you. So we bring our planet to you. It's it's, it's yours and everything in it. And we ask you to heal it. Uh, We know that you've... Predicted that it would start wearing out like an old garment, and then you will come back from heaven, oh Lord, between now and then, help us to proclaim this message of hope. and may you come back soon and remake this world as you always intended it to be. Help us to worship you as stewards, but but help us to worship you as those who who trust and proclaim the good news that God is bigger than the problems of our environment, that the earth is the lord's and everything in it, and that's that's really, really good news. We ask you to help us to be more than panickers, but to be proclaimers that God is in charge. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.